Today on the Matt Wall Show, hundreds of people are dead or missing in Hawaii after the worst wildfires in a century ravaged the country. Biden's response to this catastrophe has been a disaster in itself, and yet, of course, the media is giving him a pass. Also, a child psychologist declares that some children are gender minotaurs, and a Catholic university bans me from campus unless I, quote, change my ways. And also, right-wing media claims that the banned queen is the latest victim of cancel culture, but they have the story completely wrong. We'll talk about all that and more today on the Matt Wall Show. Is your cell phone in desperate need of replacement? You know the signs. Short battery life, so you have to have charger on hand all the time. Cracked screen that gives you glass splinters. It's time to put that old phone to rest and upgrade to a new 5G Samsung Galaxy for Pure Talk uh, for free. Get a free 5G Samsung Galaxy with two-day battery life, edge-to-edge display, and ultra-strong Gorilla Glass when you sign up for Pure Talk's unlimited talk, text, and 15-gig data plan for just $35 a month. Plus, it comes with a mobile hotspot. Get all the data you could ever need for half the price of the big carriers on America's most dependable 5G network. Go to puretalk.com Walsh for your free, super durable 5G Samsung Galaxy. When you switch to Pure Talk, again, visit puretalk.com Walsh and make the switch to my cell phone company, Pure Talk, the official wireless partner of The Daily Wire. As the legend goes, 19 years ago this month, a freak bolt of lightning struck the home of Joe Biden in Wilmington, Delaware. The lightning hit a pond nearby, traveled through some wires, and caused a kitchen fire. Make matters worse, Joe Biden was not at home. He was hundreds of miles away being uh, in Washington, being interviewed on Meet the Press. Now, fortunately, or suspiciously, depending on how you look at it, a future doctor named Jill Biden was on the scene. And she called 911. Firefighters quickly arrived to find that the blaze hadn't spread past the kitchen. Within about 20 minutes, everything was fine. We got it pretty early, the local fire chief said. Fire department later called the fire insignificant. There were no casualties. In that respect, and in every other respect, there is no comparison between Joe Biden's kitchen fire from 2004 and what has just unfolded on the island of Maui. Over 100 people are confirmed dead after one of the worst wildfires in this country's history, Roughly 1,000 people are missing, and it's feared that most of them could be children. Countless homes and businesses have been destroyed, damages estimated in the billions. And yet, on Monday, the President of the United States somehow managed to compare all of that devastation to his kitchen fire two decades ago. Touring Maui, he didn't address the bureaucratic ineptitude that led to so many deaths. He didn't explain why it took him nearly two weeks to interrupt his vacation to visit the people of Maui. Instead, he told residents of Maui the familiar story about that lightning strike at his home, this time adding uh, even more details that make absolutely no sense. Watch. I don't want to compare difficulties, but we have a little sense, Jill and I, what it's like to lose a home. Years ago, now 15 years ago, I was in Washington doing Meet the Press. It was a sunny Sunday. And lightning struck at home on a little lake that's outside of our home, not a lake, a big pond, and hit a wire and came up underneath our home into the heating ducts, the air conditioning duct. To make a long story short, I almost lost my wife, my 67 Corvette, <laughs> and my cat. But all kidding aside, I watched the firefighters, the way they responded. You know, there's an old expression. I grew up right across the street from a fire hall in Claymont, Delaware. 
And the expression is, God made man, then he made a few firefighters. I don't want to compare difficulties, but when I hear about a thousand people dying in a fire, I'm reminded of the time that I stubbed my toe on the kitchen counter. So to recap the timeline, Joe Biden was in Washington. Lightning struck his home in Delaware via his pond and air conditioning vents. Somehow in the 20 minutes it took to extinguish the fire, Joe Biden raced home from Washington to Delaware, more than an hour away by train, just in time to see firefighters save his wife from near certain death. Oh, and he, also wants you, he also wants you to know that he nearly lost his 67 Corvette in the blaze, a potential loss that he lists alongside his cat and his wife. Like Joe Biden's claims about, you know, overperforming in law school or trying to free Nelson Mandela or seeing gay men casually kissing on a street corner in the 1950s, this story is yet another lie, a fabrication. But Joe Biden's embellishment of his kitchen fire in this context is on another level. It may, in fact, be the most insulting thing a president of the United States has ever said. Really. As parents scramble to find their missing children, Joe Biden wants everyone in the room to know that he's a victim, too. He almost lost his Corvette, after all. Now, as you might expect, Joe Biden's display of narcissism in, in Maui didn't stop there. In his quest to uh, make the unprecedented human suffering in Maui about himself, Joe Biden also talked about the death of his son, as he does at every possible opportunity. No point in playing the clip. It's the same thing he said dozens of other times. The point here isn't to highlight what a terrible person Joe Biden is. Anyone who's been paying attention at any point in his political career understands that well. I mean, we were told that decency was on the ballot when he ran for president, but it turns out that Joe Biden is perhaps the least decent man to ever hold the office, which is really saying something. What's interesting is the lack of outrage in response to what Joe Biden is doing. Somehow neither party is calling for Joe Biden's impeachment over his handling of the disaster in Maui. No rap stars have derailed any disaster relief telethons by claiming that Joe Biden doesn't care about Hawaiian people. Now, for anyone who was alive in 2005, this is all rather uh, startling. Remember when they, they ripped George W. Bush apart for flying over New Orleans on, on uh, Air Force One after Hurricane Katrina? That was, that was a mortal sin at the time. He took Air Force One over the city to survey the damage rather than landing and causing a commotion on the ground. The idea was that Bush didn't want to distract from rescue efforts. It also would have been rather impractical and probably unsafe for the president of the United States to rappel down into a flood zone. But even 10 years later, I mean, they're, they're still complaining about it. Or, or rather, 10 years after this, they were complaining. Here's Face the Nation on the 10-year anniversary, and this was seven years ago, uh, still talking about what a disaster this was for George Bush. Watch. On the 10-year anniversary of Hurricane Katrina, we're joined from the heart of New Orleans by historian Douglas Brinkley, the author of The Great Deluge about the disaster. Mr. Brickley, I want to start with, help us understand sort of, help us apportion the blame for the disaster of Hurricane Katrina. Who was at fault and how much were they at fault? Well, George W. Bush did a terrible leadership job during that crisis. Uh, he kind of acted like nothing was happening wrong for the first days. He had been in San Diego where he played air guitar and then he did the famous flyover being very detached from the devastation and that, that photograph that damaged his presidency immensely of him just peering down at the abyss. Yes, he's just peering down at the abyss, uh, flying over the devastation after Hurricane Katrina. It was a scandal, a defining moment of the Bush presidency. It made Bush look 
detached, according to uh, this historian that Face the Nation was uh, interviewing. Now, the flyover they're complaining about took place on August 31st of 2005. And for those who know their history, that's two days after Katrina made landfall in Louisiana. Two days later. 48 hours later, he was surveying the damage. Now, for comparison, this was Joe Biden nearly a week after the fires in Maui began. Watch. No comment, Joe Biden says, as he gets back to his vacation while children burn in Maui. If only George Bush had tried that tactic. He should have just said no comment while on vacation. Then he'd be fine. Makes perfect sense. Now, of course, if George Bush had said no comment after he was asked about the people who died in Hurricane Katrina, it would have been a political scandal that rocked the nation and dominated news coverage for six months. People would still be talking about it. Michael Moore would have done a whole documentary on it. It would be considered one of the most infamous moments in the history of the American presidency. Now, Joe Biden's no comment, on the other hand, did not attract quite that level of outrage, or really any outrage at all, at least not from the, uh, from the press. The simple explanation for why the media is excusing what Joe Biden is doing or isn't doing is that he's a Democrat, and also Democrats run Hawaii. Bush, on the other hand, is a Republican, so he doesn't, he doesn't get the benefit of the doubt. In Maui, there's no conceivable angle in which Republicans can be responsible. Now, there really wasn't any angle in New Orleans either, uh, given that the city's run by Democrats, but they found a way. Yet they can't find a way with this story, so they simply like it to, they want it to just go away as quickly as possible. The more officials in Hawaii open their mouths, the more believable uh, this theory is. Watch as Maui County Mayor Richard Bisson refuses to say how many children are missing and then threatens to end the press conference when a reporter presses him on it. Watch. I don't know. I wish yes, I you do. How many children are missing? You I know. I knew the answer to that. I'd be happy to answer that. You have no estimate right. as to how so, many children are missing? I guess Nothing? we can end this right now. You guys want Sorry. This always, is one of the biggest takes, questions that the takes, people of Lahaina have, but you know what I answer. It always takes one or two to ruin it for everybody. Please, this is our first one. This is our only Well, we can say that about you. You've Jerry. ruined it for everybody. You're welcome to say it. You're the media. You can say whatever you want. You're a disaster. All right. Okay. Please. You've been the worst mayor we could possibly imagine. Respect? Respect what? This is the most dismal response we've ever had. You won't wait for your turn. You you want to shout over these guys that are legitimate. Why don't you give them the real answers then? Give them the real answers. That's not his question. Let him, let him. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Sorry. So rather than provide any estimate whatsoever, the mayor threatens to end the press conference. He starts fighting with the reporter. And what that tells you is that the estimates are dire. The governor of Hawaii, Josh Green, is undoubtedly aware of that. So like the mayor of Maui County, he's been dodging questions. When asked recently why the sirens didn't sound on the island to alert its residents that the fires were happening, the governor started talking about climate change instead. We've been discussing, there are now a lot of questions about all of the policies and procedures. Um, You know, the National Weather Service had issued a fire watch for your state August 6th, a few days before the fire hit. With the siren system, um, you said to CNN on Monday and again on Tuesday that you believe some of the sirens were broken. When did you learn they weren't fully functional? 
We assess every siren across the state on the first of the month, and then we ask people to update them and fix them to their abilities. You know, I of course, I as a person, as a father, as a doctor, as, I wish all the sirens went off. The challenge that you've heard, and it's not to excuse or explain anything, the challenge has been that historically those sirens are used for tsunamis. Uh, that's when I came to Hawaii 23 years ago, was told when I was living down near the shore. So Josh Green is saying that the problem isn't really Josh Green or Richard Bisson or Joe Biden or even the electric company. It's not their fault that Maui is burning. Sure, the sirens didn't go off, but, uh, you know, the real problem is that you made the world a tenth of a degree hotter. If you hadn't done that, none of this would be happening. That's the excuse we're hearing from the media. That's what we're hearing from the Democrat Party. This is all about climate change. Now, you go down the list of officials in the state, and you'll find more and more incompetence as you do. Take Mr. Khalil Manuel, for example. He's the deputy director of the state's Commission on Water Resource Management. On August 10th, the West Maui Land Company sent a letter to Khalil complaining that his commission had held up a request to free up more water to fight all the fires. And according to the land company, they had tried to expedite water diversion from streams to fight the fires. But in the letter, the land company complains that Khalil's water commission had held up the request for several hours on various technicalities, saying that they needed to uh, consult a local farmer first, obtain permission from the fire department, all this red tape. The delay could have cost people their lives. It's hard to say at this point uh, how many. It's also hard to say, hard to know why Kaleo's commission held up the water request. You may have seen this clip from uh, well before these wildfires started. It's making the rounds online. I want you to watch Kaleo, this is that uh, government official, talk about the importance of equity and preserving water. Watch. The commission is responsible per, per our authorizing statute to protect and manage all water resources in the state, one water is like taking it and looking at it from a holistic system perspective. And that's not dif any different than how Hawaiians traditionally manage water. You know, in, in essence, we treated it, a native Hawaiians treated water as one of the earthly manifestations of a god and a kua kane. And so that reverence um, for a resource and that reciprocity in relationship was, was something that was really, really important to our worldview and, and well-being, right? And living in an island and isolated from other, you know, civilizations. Um, and so I think where it shifted to today or over time is that we've become used to looking at water as like something which we use and not necessarily something w that we revere as that thing that gives us life, right? I mean, to me, it's a shift in value set. Um, and you know, if we can start to really look at how we as humans in an island um, can reconnect to that traditional value set. So really my motto is always like, let water connect us and not divide us. Like we, we can share it, but it requires true conversations about equity. Hmm. So that was the guy in charge of the water as the island burned. Now, does this mean that uh, Khalil withheld water from firefighting efforts for the sake of equity? Seems possible. We do know that this man never should have been in any position of authority whatsoever. Take a look at Khalil's biography on the Obama Foundation website, and you'll find lines like this, quote, he believes that ancient wisdom and traditional ecological knowledge of native peoples will help save the world. In other words, he's an unserious politician and person. And he's the last person you want to determine where water goes in an emergency. 
Like when the fire is headed towards your home, you don't want ancient wisdom. You don't want someone talking about the reciprocity of our relationship with Mother Earth. You want basic competence and you want water and lots of it. Water that, by the way, you are going to use and not revere or have a relationship with. As it happens, Unserious also describes the regulators in charge of monitoring Hawaii Electric, which likely caused this fire. On a substack, investigative journalist Lee Fang reports that Hawaii Electric knew about the threat of wildfire. Specifically, in a regulatory filing last summer, Hawaiian Electric disclosed that the, quote, risk of utility system causing a wildfire ignition is significant. They estimated the work to address that risk would cost about $6 million. Now, the company ultimately spent $245,000 on minor upgrades to their infrastructure. That's hundreds of thousands of dollars less than they spent on lobbying in the past four years. And all that lobbying apparently paid off. Hawaii's chief utility regulator recently appeared in a Puff Beast documentary this year for Hawaii Electric, and regulators never forced the company to make the more expensive safety upgrades that they knew they needed. It falls on substack journalists like Lee Fang to report on all this because right now the corporate media isn't interested in any of it. Instead, like the governor of Hawaii, they're pinning these fires on climate change. Vanity Fair just published a piece entitled, quote, how bad, how bad do things have to get for Joe Biden to declare a climate emergency? Along the same lines, the AP reported that climate change fueled the Maui fires. Already, the effort is underway to absolve these bureaucrats of responsibility. It's likely that in the end, only the utility company will suffer any consequences, if any at all, probably in the form of a fine. That's what happened to the electric company involved in the 2018 campfire in California, which killed 85 people. Government officials in that case made several key errors, including uh, failing to activate an emergency warning system. Sounds familiar. But none of them paid any real price for it. So what we're seeing, it's more complicated than a left-right partisan split where Republicans take heat during disasters and Democrats get a pass. That's part of it, of course. But the reason Democrats are able to avoid any accountability during catastrophes also has a lot to do with one of the main functions of a bureaucracy, why they exist in the first place, which is to diffuse responsibility. Because when everyone is responsible for a disaster, nobody is. They can blame you for making the planet hotter instead of admitting their own failures. They can make up stories about kitchen fires instead of doing anything productive. 18 years after Hurricane Katrina, this Total failure of leadership, it's not enough to destroy a presidency anymore or even damage a political party. This is what regression looks like. And it all but guarantees that, as horrible as this destruction is, we haven't seen the last disaster like this one. Now let's get to our five headlines. Well, I don't know about you, but this, uh, the summer heat in Nashville feels hotter than it's been in years. Thanks to the heat and the inflation, we're feeling the heat in more ways than one. The one thing I'm not sweating this hot summer, though, is my meat price. Thanks to uh, Good Ranchers, my price is locked in for two years. Now, you might be thinking, a price lock guarantee on meat? Yes, it's amazing, and you need it. You got to go to Good Ranchers. Good Ranchers is the only meat company locking in your price with their industry-first price lock guarantee. Since 2021, they've been uh, helping people combat the inflation of the meat aisle, as well as the mystery of it, too. Turns out that over 85% of grass-fed beef is imported from overseas. So not only is uh, it store-bought and it's expensive, but it's often low, 
for and quality too. When you subscribe to Good Ranchers, you get a guaranteed price and a trusted 100% American source for your favorite cuts. You can save on your beef, chicken, and pork by locking in your price today. Every single steakhouse quality cut is individually wrapped and flash frozen to make mealtime very easy. Visit GoodRanchers.com and use my code Walsh for $30 off any box. That's promo code Walsh at GoodRanchers.com. GoodRanchers.com, American meat delivered. We begin with this from the Daily Mail. It says, a chief psychologist at a California children's hospital has claimed that children can identify as gender minotaurs. Uh, Dr. Diane Aronsaft is the director of uh, mental health and chief psychologist at the UCSF Benioff Children's Hospital Gender Development Center. Her research focuses on the effect of uh, puberty blockers and hormones on children. First reported by Fox News, Aronsaft has made claims that children can identify as gender hybrids, which include gender minotaur. Uh, the minotaur in Greek mythology was a creature which had the body of a man but the head of a bull. In a list of terms published by Erin Saft in a paper titled The Gender Affirmative Model, she refers to different ways in which children have described themselves. And one of these included gender minotaur, which is described as being a descriptor for a child who sees themselves as one gender on top and another on their bottom half. Other claims made by the psychologist include what she describes as a gender Prius. This is all science, by the way. What you're listening to, this is science. This is pure science. And if you trust the science, then you're going to just trust all of this. Gender Prius and gender Minotaur. This label is said to have been explained to her by a child who looked like a boy at the front, but had a long braid tied in their hair with a pink bow. Okay, so if you're a boy with long hair, you're not just a boy with long hair, you're a gender Prius. According to the paper, the child said, you see, I'm a Prius, a boy in the front, a girl in the back, a hybrid. Because by the way, that's... that's um, that's definitely how children speak, right? You see, I'm a Prius, a boy in the front, a girl in the back, a hybrid. Yeah, it sounds just like a child, doesn't it? Other terms included a gender smoothie, which is described as a, uh, well, the worst possible menu item at Smoothie King, or it's a, the variation of being gender fluid. So the same thing as being gender fluid is gender smoothie. One teenager described it to Aaron Saft as, you take everything about gender, throw it in the blender, Press the button and you've got me, a gender smoothie. Another term shared by Aaron Saft is gender Tesla, which she described as a transgender state some children reach after being gender hybrid. My God. Aaron Saft has previously told a 2018 talk held at the San Francisco Public Library, quote, I totally agree we're in the midst of a gender revolution and the children are leading it. It's a wonderful thing to see and it's also humbling to know that children know more than we do about this topic of being gender expansive. Okay, so it goes without saying, uh, well, it goes without saying by me and to an audience of uh, rational people that this is all insane. Uh, and this is why I am so incredibly cynical about psychologists, especially child psychologists, the whole psycho psychology industry, um, you know, mental health, so-called mental health professionals. This is why I'm so cynical about them and so critical and skeptical is because this is what we get from these people, gender minotaurs. And somehow that's not even the most concerning part of the story. The most concerning part is her claim that we so often hear that children are leading and that we should follow them because they know more about this subject than we do. A little kid who says gender minotaur, uh, that, that is a sign that they know more than you do and you should just listen to them. And let me explain why that's concerning. Well, there's the obvious reason that uh, children are not meant to be leaders of anything. Okay, You don't follow a child. You don't put a child in a position of leadership. 
Um, and if a child knows more than you about a particular topic, that's a statement of your own ignorance, not about the child's uh, intelligence or, 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 or knowledge. Okay, unless the topic is like dinosaurs or something. There are plenty of eight-year-old boys that probably know more about that than you or I do. But, but for the most part, in general, uh, they are not leaders. They are not meant to be leaders. They don't want to be leaders. Our job is to lead them. And if you want to know why kids have so much anxiety these days, we're told about the, uh, the epidemic of anxiety. We got all these anxious kids running around. Well, this is one of the reasons is because the kids become very anxious when you put them in the lead, when you put them in the position of making decisions, especially making decisions in an uncontrolled sort of environment, like giving them an unlimited list of options, which is what we're doing with gender now. It's anything you want. It's not a binary choice. It's not even a choice of five options, any option at all. Um, when you do that with a kid, in any context, you are causing an immense amount of anxiety. So, I mean, just the other day, I, I, my kids asked me if they could watch a movie. And I said, yeah, go upstairs and pick out a movie that you want to watch. And then pick it out yourself and then come tell me what you want to watch. Give me your choice and I'll tell you yes or no. Um, and they go up 15 minutes later, they come back downstairs all stressed out, having not been able to decide. And they just ask me, can you choose one? Because it causes anxiety for kids to be put in a position of like, yeah, just choose. Um, they, they want you to make the decision, or at the very least, they want you to narrow down the options for them and say, you could choose this, or this, this, or that, you know. So now, that's how kids are in general. Now, now imagine giving your child the lead on their own biological identity. I mean, it's, it's crazy. It's abusive. But here's the point. The, uh, the, give, the, the stuff about well, we got to give kids the lead, you know, let them decide. That's all a bait and switch, okay? It's a trick. Um, they aren't really doing that. It, it would be bad enough if they were, okay? If we as a culture were just letting kids decide for themselves what gender they are, that's bad enough. That's a terrible idea. But that's not actually what is happening. So these people love to say that, Kids are taking charge. Kids are in the lead. Kids are choosing. Heard the same thing from everybody when I was filming What is a Woman? And everybody on that side, on the crazy side, the bad guys, you know, all of them said, said uh, uh, you know, the kids are really taking the lead here. But no, that's a lie. Um, they are feeding these ideas to kids and then pretending that the kids came up with it. So they are taking the lead. And when I say they, I mean the psychologists the quote-unquote mental health experts, the teachers, and so on. They are instilling this stuff into the minds of children and then telling us, the parents, that it was the kid's idea and we should let them take the lead and go along with their revolution. Okay, the, the, uh, the child psychologist says that he, he, he pre presents it this way because he doesn't want to say the truth. So this, this psychologist says to you as the parent, let your kid decide who he is. Because what she doesn't want to say is, let me decide who your child is. But that is actually what is happening. That's actually what she wants. She's saying, let me decide. The psychologists are saying, we, we will decide. We will decide what your kid is. 
They're not deciding. You certainly aren't deciding as the parent. And most of all, biology and reality aren't deciding. We will decide. And we know that's the case because um, there's just no way in hell that any kid would come up with gender minotaur. That is not a con- that is a concept that some crazy, abusive, you know, fifty-two-year-old child psychologist comes up with. That's that's not something a seven-year-old says. The whole idea of being, oh, I'm one gender on top and one gender on the bottom. Again, that is not something that a kid, that's not a concept a kid comes up with. The idea of like dividing yourself into two and seeing yourself not as one holistic whole person, but as like somehow a combination of two different things. That's not a natural insight that that anyone comes up with, at least of all a child. That doesn't make any sense. How can a child make sense of that? Children barely understand the concept of of being anything. I mean, they 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 have very you know their their ability to to be self aware and their understanding of themselves is developing as their children. It develops over time. Um. So adding this extra layer of well, you could be one, you're one half this, you're one half that, you're like a mystical being, a creation. That doesn't mean I mean it doesn't mean anything to anyone because it's nonsense. But it's especially not, it's not something that a, a child would, would invent. Even if they did, you don't go along with it. You tell them that, no, that doesn't make any sense. But this is entirely, again, the, uh, the adults that have come up with this. Um, let's see. YAF has this report. The University of San Diego, a Catholic institution, is refusing to allow its conservative student organization to host Matt Walsh for a campus lecture this fall, claiming that the Daily Wire personality's so-called grossly offensive common-sense beliefs would create an unsafe environment for different populations of people. Last semester, members of the USD College Republicans filled a uh, request for funds from the, uh, filed a request for funds from the student uh, government that would allow them to cover expenses associated with the proposed lecture. Members of the student government unanimously voted to deny the request in full. Isabella Sevilla, a leftist student senator, said, quote, as a Catholic institution, I do think it is one of the most important things that we hold our Catholic faith first. And if he does not align with the values of the Catholic Church, then that is something we should consider regarding allocating funding. Claiming that I, my views don't align with the Catholic Church. Um, when these are proponents of transgenderism, you know, uh, abortion, same-sex marriage, all of which are entirely repudiated by the Catholic Church, and uh, people who who, who uh, promote these things by Catholic teaching are guilty of mortal sins and in danger of the fires of hell if they don't repent. I mean, that's Catholic teaching. It simply is, period. And there's no disputing that. It's not ambiguous. It just it just is the teaching of Catholic Church. Uh, but yet, no, I, I'm the one who's denying Catholic teaching, not those people. Senator Jacob Aragon cited baseless calls by the leftist uh, medical organizations for Walsh to be prosecuted by the Department of Justice as a consequence of speaking out against gender ideology as his rationale for voting against the lecture. Another student government member's ridiculous argument was that conservative speech, free speech and expression should not be allowed on campus because that may lead to those on the left be, being too uncomfortable to express themselves. Quote, you say that you value freedom of expression, but do you really think people would feel comfortable to express themselves with someone who is known notoriously for what is a woman and also for being the recipient of the Transphobe of the Year 2022 award? So, 
What they're saying is that my mere presence for a couple of hours on campus would infringe on the freedom of expression of everybody else on campus because even if they're not there, their knowledge that I am there makes it impossible for them to express themselves somehow. Um, which, I mean, it, it, look, it's, all I'm going to say to that is it, it, there's only been a few times that I've gone to a college campus and before starting my lecture, um, I go around campus listening for people who are expressing themselves and saying things I don't agree with, and then uh, I physically assault them for it. It's only happened a few times. Only a few times I've done that. It's not a normal thing, okay? Every once in a while. And if you're saying University of San Diego, you don't want me to do that, then, then I won't. Just say that. That's all. But normally what happens is I just go and I, and I uh, say my point of view in one specific location, and then you can have a different point of view somewhere else, and nothing is, you're not, there's not going to be any, in fact, you can have a different point of view in the room with me, and tell me that point of view, in fact. And again, and even in that case, we do these talks, students get, get up, they may disagree with me, we have a Q&A, they express their disagreement, and, and once again, there's only been a few cases where someone has expressed themselves differently from me, and I physically assaulted them on the spot there in the room. It's only happened a few times. It rarely ever happens. So let's just be clear about that. Uh, let's see. I just thought this was interesting. Finally, Jennifer Lee, director of student activities, said that Walsh would need to denounce his transphobic beliefs and change his ways before stepping on campus, which uh, she doesn't think will happen. Okay, so that's what this all comes to. So they're saying, I'm banned from campus, but... Not necessarily permanently, because if I denounce my beliefs, or I think she means renounce them, if I renounce my beliefs and uh, give up the transphobic belief, I change my ways, then I could be, I could give a talk on campus. But she doesn't think that will happen. And all I'm going to say, Jennifer Lee, is I mean, why do you think that that won't happen? A man can change. You have to believe that. Uh, you have to have hope. In fact, I have changed. Um, I have, like right in this second, at this exact moment. You just, you're witnessing a change happen. Right now, I, I no longer believe in biological reality. I just changed right now, this second. I might change back, I don't know, but right now, I, you're right. You know what? Because here's what, here's what happened. What you said about my beliefs being transphobic, it really resonated with me. I've never heard that before. No one's pointed that out before. Okay, so I've gone along saying things like biology exists, uh, women don't have penises, so on and so forth. And I've said all these things. And, but no one ever spoke up and said, you know, that's transphobic. No one ever said that. But you're the first person. And, what, and when you said that, I heard it and I thought, wow, you're right, it is. Never mind then. You know what? Here's what I said to myself. If reality is offensive to Jennifer Lee, then reality must be fake. That's what I decided. That's what I realized. So I've come to the conclusion right now that biology isn't real. Um, gravity isn't real. Math isn't real. Reality isn't real. You're right. So I agree with you. Okay, you're proven wrong. I can change. In fact, I would like to come to the university and give a speech titled Why Biology is a Right-Wing Conspiracy. That's the speech I want to give. It's, that's the opposite of transphobic. I mean, that, it, it'll be the most trans-affirming speech of all time. So that's what I'm saying now. That's my response. And I think that clears it up. And there's no reason why I can't speak 
in a way that'll be very affirming, very affirming for everybody. I promise you that. So I'm glad that we could clear that up. Uh, let's see. Briefly, there's this for the New York Post. To mask or not to mask? Uh, that is the question facing many doctors, public health officials, and concerned citizens nationwide as cases of COVID-19 once again tick upward. Meanwhile, the Centers for Disease Control Prevention warned on Thursday there's a new highly mutated variant of the coronavirus named BA286 that's spreading worldwide. They're going to have to come up with a, a better name for that. Uh, usually they try to come up with a, like a scary sounding name. They haven't, they haven't even put the effort in yet. I mean, frankly, I find it insulting. Uh, so they want to they you know, they, they do the fear mongering thing. But you can't do that with variant BA286. You got to come up with something, you know, the turbo uh, deadly variant or whatever. Um, recent data from the New York State Department of Health released August 2nd show that COVID cases spiked by 55% over the prior week with an average of 824 uh, reported cases per day across the state. And the rise in COVID-19 cases isn't limited to New York. The CDC recorded 10,320 U.S. hospital admissions for COVID-19 in the week ending August 5th, a 14.3% increase from the week prior. And so the, the, that's why the conversation has moved back to uh, masking. Should we mask again? In fact, at least one college has already announced that they are going to reinstate mask mandates. This was, I think it was a private school in Atlanta, a small school. Will that be... Is that the tip of the iceberg? And now we're going to have all these schools bringing masks back. I don't know. The question, and I mean, there's no doubt that that the, the the powers that be, the elites, would like to, you know, they they they'd like to go back to the COVID days, back to the lockdown days. Of course, they would. Um, they like to have the the remake, you know, the 2.0, and, and do it all over again, the good old days. Uh, they'd like to put everybody in muzzles again especially as we head closer to an election, you know, so the timing here is not a coincidence. The question is just whether most people can be convinced to go along with it again, whether most people can be convinced to wear the mask again. And I'm very hesitant to say this because, uh, you know, almost always when I show any faith in mankind, uh, that is, I, I come to regret it. Like those are the only times that I'm wrong about something is when I have too much faith, when I'm too optimistic. So I, I hesitate to say this, but I think the answer is probably no. I think that uh, they will not be able to get most people to go along with this again. Uh, they, can, they can reinstate mask mandates and most people will defy them, I think. And the, the answer, I mean, the reason for that is, is pretty simple, that the fear has, like, coronavirus is not novel anymore. Uh, it's not a novel thing for people. And it, it was novel back in 2020. It was new. And so you, it was very easy to use it to scare people. But now we've all lived in a world where this just exists. It's endemic. It's like the flu. People get it. It's a seasonal thing, sort of. You know, it's, it, it, it comes in waves. It's like any other virus. There are a million of them out there. And it's just part of the, uh, it's just part of the background. It's like, it's just there. Yeah, okay. Now, I think for most people, you hear that someone has COVID, it's like, okay, it's like hearing that, okay, they had a cold, they had a flu, right? It happens. Uh, so I think that's what they're going to run into, is that, is that they won't be able to reignite the fear. You know, for them, they can't recapture the magic. It's just, it's gone, they won't be able to get it. Um, so they're going to need something new. They're going to need something that's not COVID. You know, they're going to need a, they're gonna need a new virus, a new something. Um, and... I'm sure they're working on that in a Chinese lab somewhere. 
All right, finally, a couple of weeks ago, we uh, told you the story of the face-peeling aliens down in Peru who've been detected by Peruvian villagers uh, and proven to exist. This story is 100% proven true beyond a shadow of a doubt. How do I know that? Because literally dozens of witnesses have attested to it. Uh, they all said the same thing, that the aliens come, that they, you know, that they can fly. Uh, they fly in, they peel your face. This has been the testimony of many witnesses. Um, some, you know, and what do they do with your face? We don't know. Do they, sometimes they borrow your face, they give it back to you later. Sometimes they keep it, sometimes they lose track of it. The different things can happen. But the point is that the alien sightings have been proven, at least to my satisfaction. And as you know, I have a very high standard of evidence when it comes to these sorts of cases. If you want, to make, if you want me to believe it, that's a very high standard. Like, in order for me to believe that an alien sighting is real, you need to first claim that you saw an alien. And second, well, I mean, you need to claim that you saw one at least. So that's the point. And if so that's, that's the standard. That's a very high standard. But anyway, somehow not everyone is convinced about these Peruvian aliens. And now they're going to extreme lengths to disprove it. So this is, uh, this is from Vice, okay? This is a report from Vice. This is what they say. The mysterious attacks began on July 11th. Strange beings, uh, locals said, visiting an island indigenous community in rural Peru at night, harassing its inhabitants and attempting to kidnap a 15-year-old girl. These gentlemen are aliens. Nice that they call them gentlemen anyway. You got to be respectful. They, seemed, uh, they seem armored like the green goblin from Spider-Man. I have shot one twice and it didn't fall. Instead, it elevated and disappeared. Jairo Avila, a uh, local leader of the indigenous Iquitu group living in the northwestern uh, Minas province, told Peruvian radio station RPP on August 1st. First, we're, we're frightened by what is happening in the community. Their color is silver, their shoes are round in shape, and with those, they rise up. Uh, they float one meter high and have a red light on their heel. Their heads are long, their mask is long, and their eyes are sort of yellowish. News of the alleged extraterrestrial attackers quickly spread online as believers, skeptics, and internet sleuths around the world analyze grainy videos posted by members of the Akitu community. Uh, they, the reported sightings came on the heels of U.S. congressional hearings about aliens, as we know. Okay, now let's get to the so that's, that's what happened. And you hear all that and you think, okay, well, so there's flying aliens in Peru. Okay, that's what's happening. What else is there to talk about? What else is there to think about? Listen to their absurd explanation. Uh, members of the Peruvian Navy and police traveled to the isolated community, which is located 10 hours by boat from the minus uh, provincial capital of Iquitos, to investigate the strange disturbances in early August. Last week, Authorities announced that they believe the perpetrators were members of illegal gold mining gangs from Colombia and Brazil using advanced flying technology to terrorize the community. Carlos Castro Quintanilla, the uh, lead investigator in the case, said that 80% of illegal gold dredging in the region is located in this river basin where the Quito community is located. Um, and we're being told that they were using state-of-the-art technology like thrusters that allow people to fly. He said that after looking uh, the device is up on Google. He believed that they were jetpacks. Okay, so this is what they're going with, if you can believe it. They aren't aliens. They are gold miners with jetpacks, which, first of all, I don't even know where to begin, but why would gold miners need jetpacks? Okay, bringing a jetpack into a gold mine, it's like 
bringing your scuba gear when you're skydiving. It just does. It's out of place. And second, why would illegal gold miners call attention to themselves in this way? They're, they're mining gold illegally. Like, why would they say, let, let, let's, let's put on this enormously visible display to call all this attention to ourselves, all for the sake of freaking out some Peruvian villagers? And third, where does the face peeling come into play here? This whole article, I read the whole thing. They don't even mention it. This whole detail, you know why? Because it's an inconvenient detail for the skeptics. So they just pretend that that's not part of the story. So are the gold miners peeling faces also? Is that part of the of the prank? Haha, peeled your face off, gotcha. You've been pranked. You have no face. Is that what we're supposed to believe? Ask yourself this. Ask yourself what's more plausible. Okay, this is what I want you to ask yourself. That 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 creatures from another solar system came to Peru to fly around and peel faces off, or that gold miners have jetpacks. Well, don't ask yourself that, actually. That doesn't prove the point I want to prove. But you know, here's what you should ask yourself. This is a better question to ask yourself. What do you believe in your heart? Ask yourself what you feel deeply in your soul. And I know the answer for me. And, and I know that I have faith in Peruvian villagers. When they say they're getting their faces peeled off by aliens, I believe them. And frankly, too, I have faith in illegal South American gold miners. I just do. Um, they wouldn't do this, okay? They wouldn't act this way. They wouldn't terrorize Peruvian villagers by flying around in jetpacks. They just, they wouldn't do it. I've known a lot of illegal gold miners in my day. This is what's a mantra they all follow. I've heard it a million times. They always say, they always say this. They always say, we never terrorize Peruvian miners or Peruvian villagers with jetpacks. They always say that. It's just a thing that they say. So it's been one of their basic principles for a long time. So let's just cut it out. Let's be let's be serious for change and let's just uh, stop with the outlandish theories and accept the basic fact that flying face peeling aliens are real. And that's all. Grow up already is what I'm going to say. Let's get to the uh, comment section. Do you know their name? They're the sweet baby gang. Are you ready to discover the incredible benefits of a good night's sleep? It's time to awaken your senses and embrace the importance of restful slumber. Dive into the world of sleep and introduce yourself to an amazing product that could revolutionize your nighttime routine. Beam Dream is a game changer. Their dream powder, a hot cocoa designed specifically for sleep, could transform your nights with flavors like cinnamon cocoa and chocolate peanut butter that make it a treat to sip on, on, uh, to sip on before bedtime. Dream contains a powerful all-natural blend, even including magnesium, to help you fall asleep, stay asleep, and help you wake up refreshed. Just mix Beam Dream into hot water or milk, stir or froth, and enjoy before bedtime every night. Your body and mind deserve the gift of restful nights. Try Beam's best-selling dream powder. Get up to 40% off for a limited time when you go to shopbeam.com slash Walsh and use code Walsh to check out. That's shopbeam.com slash Walsh and use code Walsh for up to 40% off. Sparks Wayne said, uh, whether we like it or not, what Garland did, Judy Garland did, was acceptable at the time. This was entertainment. Yeah, I mean, that's the point. Most people, you know, uh, most people do whatever is accept, considered acceptable in their day and age. And that doesn't make it objectively right, of course, but it does mean that does mean that most people aren't in a position to judge others from other time periods who simply follow the tide of their culture, because that's what most people today are doing. Um, and, you know, people in the 1930s 
were racially insensitive, let's say, and uh, basically everyone was. And you may not be racially insensitive these days, but there are probably a whole host of behaviors, a whole host of things that you do and say and think are acceptable and don't even question because everyone does, everyone else does and says them and thinks they're acceptable. And a lot of those things, you know, people from the 1930s could see that. It's like, especially with entertainment. So we look at that, someone in blackface, oh, that's a horrible entertainment. That's crass and offensive and outrageous. Well, I think some of the 1930s, like they might not feel that way about blackface, but they're going to look at a lot of the things that we find entertaining today and say, what the hell is wrong with you? Savages. What the hell? This is what. So, you know, we again, we have our own blind spots. Uh, Blueberry Juice says Matt Walsh continues to be one of the most human humans to ever roam the earth. I do have that going for me, at least I am human. Whatever else you can say about me. I am that. Real Wally says, putting on makeup and a wig to look like another race is something a lot of people pretend to find offensive, even though they don't care at all. Everyone needs to stop letting others tell them what they should be offended by. It never ends. Well, especially because there are a whole, you know, there are a lot of people putting on makeup and wigs these days. Uh, so that still exists, just not pretending to be another race in the process. So that's one thing, you know, of course, we we're talking about. I don't think it came up in the cancellation yesterday. That's another one of those that goes without saying uh, things, I would think, at this point. But you know, people are very offended by blackface these days because it's a caricature, it's degrading and everything else. But uh, of course, drag is, is woman face and it's every bit as degrading and uh, every bit the caricature and really even more so. Uh, another comment says, Matt should have elaborated on what he meant by back in the 1930s, it wasn't a big deal. Examples to illustrate that would have been helpful, but he just made a statement without any elaboration or examples whatsoever. Well, what examples do you need? You know, if you need, do you need examples, really, to show why blackface wasn't considered a big deal in the 1930s? Well, we showed you the, the only example you really need. Judy Garland was making a film for MGM, and, and it had blackface in it. Okay, so that's very much a just a, considered a mainstream acceptable sort of thing. Um, I would think that's all the example you really need. Jeremiah says, I love Matt, but I think he's wrong on one thing. Uh, I think blackface even then was a big deal, at least to black folks. But more importantly, Hattie McDaniel from Gone with the Wind played Mammy, a stereotypical black housemaid, and then played the role of a Mammy in many other films and shows. While others, particularly in the black community, saw it as degrading, she replied, quote, I work as a maid for $7 a week, or I can play one for $700 a week. I think we need to give more grace to women actors in that time period. You didn't have a lot of options in life. And Jammin uh, says sort of the same thing. LOL, it was a great sin back then too, just not to white people. The insensitivity and unawareness Matt has towards some racial issues are concerning. Don't get me wrong though, there shouldn't be a story today because who cares, but you uh, have to be more informed and understanding. Well, you might be right, I don't know. Um, I can't speak for how black people in the 1930s felt about it. I don't think you can either. Um, I suspect they were not as offended by it as we are today, I suspect that. But it doesn't matter to my point. In Judy Garland's life, in her mind, according to the culture and world that she was a part of, wasn't considered a big deal. That, that's it. Baddis says, Daily Wire supporter here and pay for a yearly subscription. I'm a conservative through and through. I agree with a lot of what you say, Matt, but I have to humbly disagree on this one. Wrong is wrong no matter when or where you were born. I look at Jesus' words and standards, and those haven't changed in more than 2,000 years. Should we cancel Garland? Well, no, we can't because she's immortalized, but wrong is wrong. 
Well, I don't think you understand the point I was trying to make about moral truth versus moral culpability. Moral truth does not change at all over time. You know, what is true morally in today's day and age was true a thousand years ago and 5,000 years ago. So the moral truth does not change. What does change, not just by time, but by circumstance, by individual, um, by age, you know, by many different factors, is, is, is the culpability of an individual for committing an immoral act. That's, and of course, like that's not even really controversial. Um, everyone agrees, you know, when, and again, we don't have to go back in history to look at this, but somebody does or says something that you think is, is wrong, you, they, we all instinctively do this. We, we have a court system that is made to do it. It might do it imperfectly and terribly in many cases, but you, you look at all the different factors surrounding that individual and those circumstances to determine not whether the thing was wrong, we know that, but how culpable they are for it. And um, when we're talking about some of these uh, things that were done in history, the day and age, the time period really does factor in in a major way towards culpability. Finally, conservative grifters won't cancel blackface, but when DEFCON 3 cancellation of Bud Light for sending beer to a guy in a dress, make this make sense. Well, I'll make it make sense for you. That's because the guy in a dress is a million times more objectionable than blackface. Uh, you know, appro- I mean, approximately, really more than a million times. It's, it's infinite. And in fact, it's infinitely more degrading and offensive and also harmful for the culture. So hopefully that helps you. When Dr. Jordan B. Peterson made the decision to join Daily Wire Plus, it was a major win for those who championed free speech and intellectual debate. With one year of unparalleled output, his contributions have set new standards and have remained unmatched by any other platform. Daily Wire Plus now has a vast array of exclusive Jordan Peterson content, offering hundreds of hours of captivating content you can't find anywhere else. Jordan has created thought-provoking works that reshape your perspective on life, which include vision and destiny, marriage, and dragons, monsters, and men. Additionally, you can immerse yourself in discussions that nurture your spiritual side like Logos and Literacy and also Jordan's groundbreaking series on the Book of Exodus. That's only the beginning. I haven't even mentioned his Beyond Order lecture series or his extensive archive of lectures and podcasts. This is the absolute compendium of all things Jordan. Plus, there's even more new exclusive content on the horizon. This is only the beginning. By becoming a Daily Wire Plus member, you'll embark on an unforgettable experience that will fuel your thirst for knowledge and inspire personal growth like never before. Go to dailywire.com slash subscribe to become a member today. Now let's get to our daily cancellation. Cancel culture is a real phenomenon and a dangerous one. Lives have been destroyed by it. History has been rewritten. A generation of ridiculous cry bullies have been empowered in all the worst ways imaginable. Cancel culture is an epidemic. But cancel culture is also, at this point, a slogan that makes for fodder for three-minute Fox News segments. Along with being a real problem, it is as well cheap and easy boomer bait. Cancel culture is bad, and you can always earn cheap applause by saying cancel culture is bad. This doesn't mean that we should stop saying it or that we should stop fighting cancel culture, but it does mean that when someone claims that something or someone is being canceled, we should stop and take a moment to scrutinize those claims. Because, you know, the fight against cancel culture, because it makes for a quick Fox News segment, and because there is applause to be earned by pretending you're a part of the fight, That means there's an incentive to pretend that you are the victim of cancel culture or that something else is the victim of cancel culture when, in fact, that isn't true. Now, the good news is that it only takes a little bit of critical thinking, a little bit of digging to sort through all this and get to the truth. And that brings us to the latest alleged cancel culture victim, the 70s rock band Queen. 
The headlines started pouring in fast and furious yesterday. Queen has been canceled. The woke mob is at it again. Specifically, one Queen song called Fat Bottom Girls has fallen prey to political correctness, we're told. As The Independent reports, quote, Queen fans left fuming as Fat Bottom Girls left off Greatest Hits release. The Sun declares, Queen, uh, Queen drops classic track from Greatest Hits due to woke cancel culture. The Daily Mail says, a classic Queen song, Fat Bottom Girls, is mysteriously dropped from the group's new Greatest Hits collection. The conservative, conservative website, The Federalist, had this headline, Amid era of body positivity, Queen's Fat Bottom Girls gets canceled. Meanwhile, the New York Post, in an editorial, pleaded, Don't stop Fat Bottom Girls from making the rocking world go round. Right on cue, social media was flooded with posts lamenting the cancellation of Queen and their classic song about girls with fat bottoms. The topic was trending on Twitter all day long, and nearly everyone seemed to agree that this cancellation was outrageous, ludicrous, Orwellian. Many conservative pundits, including ones that I like and respect, uh, expressed their outrage over this. And of course, Fox News got in on the action. In their article, they claimed that, uh, quote, legendary rock band Queen's 1978 classic Fat Bottom Girls has become cancel culture's latest victim. And here's how they, how Fox News, covered the issue in a segment yesterday. Watch. Got to get your thoughts on this just so I can say this line. We will, we will woke you. That's the headline in the Daily Mail as Queen's classic song, Fat Bottom Girls, mysteriously goes missing from the group's new greatest hits collection. Joe, your reaction? I mean, you watch that movie, uh, Robbie Malik, and it, it was a great portrayal of Queen and how they came to be one of the biggest bands of, of the 70s. And they were politically incorrect at the time. You remember, uh, their producers uh, wanted them to play it safe as far as what songs they released and Bohemian Rhapsody. Uh, how could you possibly even do a song like that? It's completely off the grid. Uh, they took chances, Queen did. And now, to see this, and Robbie Malik obviously is not a late Robbie Malik, I, I don't think he would stand for this. I, I, I'm pretty sure he wouldn't if, if I believed that the portrayal uh, that I saw in that movie. Uh, so, yeah, to, to say, all right, that song never existed is utterly ridiculous. Well, he's absolutely right. Uh, we should not pretend the song never existed. We should not erase the song from every platform. We shouldn't go look for a Freddie Mercury statue to uh, tear down. But, but here's the good news. None of that is happening. Okay? It's all fake. In fact, Queen is not canceled at all. This song is not canceled. The entire story is fake. This is a lot of fake outrage over nothing, as it turns out. Here's what's really happening. One single audio platform has decided to start offering Queen's Greatest Hits collection without that one song. That song has not been removed from the Greatest Hits collection on every platform on, or on any platform except for just this one. And the thing you should know about this one platform where fat bottom girls will not be available is that it is specifically an audio platform for children. The platform is called Yoto. It is an audio player without a screen that uh, plays music and audiobooks. Now, to give you an idea of the age range this device is designed for, here are just three of the audiobook titles it offers, okay? Stuart Little, Winnie the Pooh, and Daniel Tiger's Neighborhood Five-Minute Stories. In other words, this is a device not just for kids, but for very young kids. On its website, the Yodo players are listed with an age range of 3 to 12. The company very specifically curates material that is supposed to be appropriate for preschool-aged kids. And they judged that Fat Bottom Girls probably isn't appropriate for that age, and they left it off, which to me seems extremely reasonable. 
and certainly not worth an outraged segment on Fox News. Now, I can't vouch for this platform at all, really, to be clear. I mean, they, they may well have books and other songs that I would not consider appropriate for little kids. I have no idea either way. I haven't checked. In fact, if anything, the real problem here is not that they excluded that one Queen song, but that they are including every other Queen song. You know, th there are some other Queen songs I can think of off the top of my head that I wouldn't want my kids singing along to, especially when they're three years old. But that's not the point. The point is that, that people, conservatives especially, are apparently angry that a song called Fat Bottom Girls is not being made available for three-year-olds on a children's audio device. A song, by the way, that contains these lyrics. Okay, this is the song that Fox News is so upset that they're not going to play for kids. Uh, this, these are the lyrics. I was just a skinny lad, never knew no good from bad, but I knew life before I left my nursery. Left alone with big fat Fanny, she was such a naughty nanny, Heap big woman, you made a bad boy out of me. Oh, won't you take me home tonight down beside your red firelight and you give it all you got, fat bottom girls, you make the rockin' world go round. Now, if this sounds like this is a song about an overweight nanny molesting a child in the nursery, that's because that's exactly what the song is about, okay? That is the song. It's not a hidden message. There's nothing subtle about it. Freddie Mercury is singing about a kid in a nursery being made into a, quote, bad boy by a, quote, naughty nanny, who also happens to be big and fat. Okay, you don't need to read the lyrics upside down and backwards or search for invisible ink in between the lines to understand what's happening in the song. It's, it's very clear. It's not cancel culture to suggest that perhaps we wouldn't want a five-year-old to go around singing along to, to those kinds of lyrics. And, and in fact, even if you take out the extremely clear and undeniable references to child molestation, still the song is vulgar and stupid. Okay, even if it was just a song about having sex with women with large butts, which seems to be what most people assume, it still would clearly be inappropriate content for young kids. And I say that not because I'm politically correct, but because I'm something called a parent. Now, I understand that the song was made 50 years ago, which by sheer passage of time makes it a classic. But despite what wistful boomers might tell you, not everything that pop culture produced in the 60s and 70s was an artistic masterpiece that we should teach our kids. In fact, a lot of the stuff from that era was degenerate and stupid. It doesn't suddenly become brilliant once it reaches the 50-year mark. You, read, you heard the lyrics. Again, putting aside all the child molestation stuff, which is kind of hard to put aside— but these are just dumb lyrics. This is not so, this is a, this is a masterpiece. This is true art, kids. If you heard that exact same song today and it didn't exist at any other point before, you would hear that song and say, this is the dumbest freaking song I've ever heard in my life. Yet it happened, it was made 50 years ago and suddenly it's, oh, it's a classic. This is amazing. This is real music. Cardi B's music is incredibly gross and bad today. In the year 2070, it'll be considered a classic, an oldie from simpler times, but it'll still be, still be gross and bad. And, and in fact, this is an important point that is so often lost. If you lament the degeneracy and stupidity of current pop culture, you should realize that current pop culture didn't fall out of the sky one day or come lumbering out of the ocean like a twerking Godzilla. No, it is the end result of a process that can be traced back to the 70s and before. It's all part of the same heritage. Pop artists today like to sing very dumb and crass songs about sex, 
Bands like Queen paved the way with their own very dumb and crass songs about sex. It doesn't make sense to be offended by fat bottom girls if you think that WAP is a musical masterpiece. That's true. And I've heard a lot of people pointing that out. Well, you're offended by fat bottom girls, but what about WAP? Okay, and anyone who likes WAP and thinks fat bottom girls is offensive, uh, you're right. You got a good point. But it also doesn't make sense to be offended by WAP if you think that fat bottom girls was a musical masterpiece. That doesn't make sense either. Now, artists back then were actual musicians. They actually composed the music. They played the instruments, which is far more than, uh, than we can say for pop artists today. But these artists, including the artists in Queen, were also, for the most part, drugged out, sex-crazed, godless, degenerate, pervert heathens, explicitly promoting that kind of lifestyle to their listeners. We should at least be honest about that. Rather than acting like current pop culture came out of nowhere, as if there was no precedent for any of this stuff, but then again, boomers in general like to look around at the culture today and pretend that we, are, that we are not living in exactly the world that they created. So this is in keeping with that theme. They lament the vulgarity of modern music while also lamenting that fat bottom girls isn't being placed into a catalog alongside Winnie the Pooh. It's totally absurd. And that is ultimately why the people complaining about Queen getting canceled, when Queen, in fact, is not getting canceled, are today canceled. And that'll do it for the show today. Thanks for watching. Thanks for listening. Talk to you tomorrow. Godspeed.